You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. This is the first of two lectures I'll be doing this afternoon. The second one is going to be uh, Derm Surgery Pearls. It's 20 years of things that I've learned, uh, not only being a PA, but working alongside a a fellowship-trained Mohs surgeon. Uh, How do we get good cosmetic outcomes? How do we prevent complications? How do we close big... uh, big defects on the head and neck, kind of an algorithm that I'll give you of how to close those, what kind of sutures to use. And that is by far my favorite topic, my favorite thing to talk about. I love talking about surgery. Now we got this one, right? We have the disgruntled patient, the disgruntled surgery patient. Uh, Something that we tried to do for them surgically that didn't quite turn out so well, and now we have a patient that's upset sitting in our office. What do we do about that? I'd like to tell you a story that impacted me in this particular field that I've carried with me, I don't know, probably 16, 18 years, however long it's been since this happened. But I was, uh, I was in the military, and I was working at the, out, the outpatient. It was a, a wound care clinic, or it was a, a, an urgent care, actually, where we saw wound checks. And a patient came in that uh, had a procedure done by one of the doctors. So I called the doctor in, and he came in to see the, the patient and uh, actually the patient's family, and I just watched this doctor handle that complaint, just how pointed and how heated the questions were to him and how he just so deftly and masterfully handled that. Then we walked out of the room, I said to the doc, I was like, man, that was, that was great, thanks, I, I appreciate it, I learned a lot. And he looked at me and he just matter-of-factly said, Johnson, when you deal with a disgruntled or a, an upset patient, there's two people that you need to deal with. You need to deal with the patient and I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, that was, that was insightful. I got that much. And then he said, you need to deal with yourself too. And he turned around and walked out. And I just kind of thought about that for a while. It's like, what do you mean? You, you deal with the patient I got, but you need to check yourself as a provider before you go in that room. And it's, it's come to mean two different things to me. One is invariably these disgruntled patients are going to come in, are going to come in the middle of your busiest time of your clinic, right? You, got, you are running behind. You're an hour behind your clinic. Like every patient's a chatty Cathy. You can't catch up. It's frustrating. And here comes a disgruntled patient. And it is so easy to grab that chart and walk in the room and just go, I got this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them who's boss. I got this. Who do they think they're talking to, right? My suggestion to you would be to take a step back, take a big breath, Maybe go into your office and get a drink of coffee that's getting cold on your desk and just gather your thoughts before you walk in that room. You're, otherwise, you're set up for uh, fireworks for sure. Okay? What you need to do is look at all the pictures, get all the facts, get everything straight. And what I do before I walk in is I knock on the door, I look at my nurse, and I smile a little bit, and I just kind of shrug my shoulders as I'm walking on in. It just kind of puts me in a frame of mind. It's like, listen, things happen. Okay? And I'm in a frame of mind to sit face the heat, and handle that patient. That's number one. Number two is what you need to understand and what we all need to understand is these things happen to every one of us. If you're doing, like, if I was to ask you to raise your hand, and, I, you know, don't do it, but if I was to ask you to raise your hand and say, who's doing surgical procedures? You know, so many raise your hands. And I would ask, how many of you who are doing surgical procedures have had a complication? I would expect that most of the same hands would go up. If you are doing surgical procedures, you're going to get complications. And with that comes our first rule. If you can't handle surgical complications, don't ever pick up a scalpel. And I'm not proud of this. When I was first starting with Dr. Schiff at Water's Edge where I'm at, 
I had an outcome that wasn't so hot, and, and he was in there with me, and we're taking care of the patient, and I walked out, and, and I, was, I was. I felt bad. I was beating myself up, and he just looked at me, and he's like, Jeff, if you don't want surgical complications, just treat acne. And it meant a lot to me because what happens is we, it happens to every one of us. You can look left and right, and if you're doing procedures, you're getting complications. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, you haven't done it long enough or haven't done enough of them because it's going to happen to us, to every one of us. So stop beating yourself up. Stop being hard on yourself. It's going to happen. Get over it. Learn from it and move on. That's all we can do, and that's what each one of us does. Where it really hit home for me is this case right here. It was where the light bulb came on to me that sometimes it's my fault that I get the surgical complication and sometimes it's not my fault that we get the surgical complication. So I get a, the nurse comes in and talks to me and says, listen, you know, Jeff, we got uh, room one, got a, a patient whose, whose sutures have popped is what I'm told. All right, so I walk in there and I, I take a look at this and I distinctly remember doing this closure. I was, this early on, I had closed this super thin skin. I was very happy. If you look kind of the left side of the screen, the sutures are well-placed. It was well-approximated. I got that thing together, and I was all happy. And here, two days later, the patient walks in with pop sutures. And I'm looking at that. That's not a high mobility area. It's the middle of the forearm. There's not a lot of tension there. It's not something you would expect to pop. So I'm asking him, it's like, what were you doing when this popped? He says, well, I'm outside in my garden and I'm working. And I, I started working on this bougainvillea bush, if you know what that is. It's this viney thing with thorns all over it. And he caught the wound on one of those thorns and it ripped it open. The sutures popped. And, I, you know, it just kind of hit me. And I'm thinking, well, what, what kind of bandage did you have on this thing? You know, you had the bandage on it. It's like, no, there's no bandage on there. And I just kind of stopped and I looked at him. I'm like, you're digging in the dirt two days post-op and your sutures popped. So from that point on, it's like light bulb for me. That point on, when patients come in with post-op infections, I might say to the patient, you know, uh, these are really uncommon that these happen. Uh, we're not really sure why. Why in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I have no idea what kind of wound care this patient's doing at home, right? You can't take it personally. These things happen. Now, there are situations where it's not the patient's fault, and it's actually the provider's fault. You guys take a look at this. So whenever I go into a room and I'm going to take a look at, at something that, uh, that uh, you know, a patient's disgruntled about or some type of postoperative complication, the first thing I want to look at and what I want up in the room when I'm in there is the closure picture, the picture of the closure, okay? Because if it's due to something that, that the provider did, that the surgeon did, you can tell at the time of the closure what was going to happen. Now, I, this is a rhetorical question. You, you, know, you guys don't have to yell out the answer, but can you see what the problem is in that one? Like, most, most skin isn't that white, right? Most skin is kind of pink and perfused with, with blood and with oxygen. That's a, that's a transpositional flap, uh, the right temple, and that was done by someone clearly skilled, because those sutures are great. It's well put together, but it is way too tight and is overcoming the capillary refill pressure, the capillary pressure and arterial pressure. It's bringing blood and oxygen to that wound, and this is what we're going to end up with. Okay? So sometimes it's the patient digging in the dirt. Sometimes it's the fault of the, of the provider. And all you can do at this point, you're still taking care of the patient. You're still doing wound care. Okay? But what you need to do is look at that. Now, I didn't do this closure. That's awesome. I didn't do this one. But I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to show you a picture later, I think in the next talk, how this direct example taught me for another closure and how I got away with something. So it's just you learn from it, whether you did it or not. Learn from the complication and move on. Now, there are times things happen, and you're not sure why. 
Okay? Things pop. Things don't heal. You're not sure. Like, why the whole top of that, that dermis and necrose away? Was that handling of the tissue? Probably. I don't know. It's hard to tell from that closure. You're not sure why things happen. And you're not sure why patients don't heal. Okay? Some patients, have you seen some patients just have all widened scars? It's just the way it is. Some patients get hypertrophic scars or keloids in some patients. Just some patients don't heal well, and it's hard to know why. And you know what? This was a scar revision from a plastic surgeon. This is the second try and still looks like this. I'll show you other pictures later. So it's just, sometimes it's hard to know why. So it's okay to take responsibility. You got to stand in front of that patient and say, yeah, you know, Mrs. Jones, I'm, I'm sorry this happened to you. Uh, I think we would both agree this isn't the outcome we were both looking for, but uh, we're going to take care of you at this point and, and you know, we're going to make you better. So you can take respons- responsibility for what happened if you were the surgeon, or responsibility is the practice, but you can't take it personally. Don't take it with you. Learn from it and move on. I've seen too many people that get beat up and beat themselves up for any complication that happens to us all. Post-op infections happens I wouldn't say a lot. It's uncommon. I don't say to the patient, wow, this is, getting an infection like this is really rare. I don't say that. The reason I don't say that is I don't use the word rare and infection in the same sentence, okay? Because all they're going to walk out is, he said I had a rare infection, right? That, that's what they're going to remember. And it's some flesh-eating disease that now, I don't know, they need to tell their neighbor and every neighbor about, right? So I try to use the word uncommon. It's uncommon for this to happen. But why did it happen? It's hard to know. But what if you could go back in time and talk to this patient before the infection occurred? What if you could do that? What if you could go back in time and talk to this patient before that infection turned into what's going to be an ugly-looking scar? What if you could go back in time and have that conversation? Well, you can. And it, well, uh, it's a little out of order here. I will tell you the main difference between an explanation and an excuse is uh, when you tell the patient. <laughs> How about that? Okay, because, 94, the way that you can go back in time and talk to that patient is learning the difference between an explanation and an excuse, okay? The way that you do that is at the time of the surgery, okay? So let me give you an example. Well, what is the incomplete excision rate on the trunk? Does anybody know? Yeah, 5%. So this is how you tell the difference between an explanation and an excuse. And this is the example of that. Okay? These are incomplete excision rates that you'll see by differing different parts on the body. Uh, Let's stick with the trunk. That's what we just asked. That was the question. Okay? 5%. So when you're doing a surgery on your patient, what can you do? You can talk about the weather. You can talk about, I don't know, the Miami heat and how bad they are. You can... Be really brave and bring up politics to your patient who's laying on the table, which I would probably suggest we not do at this time, right? Nobody's going to talk politics with a room full of sharp objects. So what I do is I talk about the potential for complications. I say, listen, I can see the cancer that's on your back here, but what I can't see is the roots that go either wider or deeper than I, than I can see with the naked eye. In fact, if I had a, a microscope here, I wouldn't be able to tell where those roots go. It's only when you cut out the tissue and you send it to the lab and they section and put stain to it, can you see where those abnormal cells go? So there is a possibility. In fact, it turns out five times out of 100 that we don't get it all. You tell the patient during the surgery. So when they get a phone call from the lab and says, hey, Jeff needs to bring you back because didn't get positive, you know, they didn't get clear margins, the margins were still positive, 
they're not so upset by it. I tell patients there's a 95% chance that we're going to get the, you know, the cancer in this. Uh, I said I would take those 95% odds in Vegas every day. When I say it like that, they remember that comment. So when they come in and say, hey, the lab called and said you didn't get it all. What, what's going on? I was like, hey, remember I told you five times out of 100 we don't get it? You can, you can kind of head off the, compl- the complication and more you can head off the complaint by talking to them before it happens. So the difference between an explanation and an excuse is when you tell them. What if the patient comes in and I'd never had that conversation, and they say, why didn't you get it all? And I say, well, you know, sometimes the, the roots go a little deeper, and what it totally sounds like I'm making it up. It is exactly the same statement in exactly the same situation. I just told them after it happened rather than before it happened. Okay? If you tell a patient before the complication, you explained it. You tell them after the complication, you're making an excuse to try to answer why it happened, right? So how about infection? You know, infections are uh, very uncommon. If it seems like, if you're worried that it might be getting infected, call the clinic right away and we'll get you in and get you appropriate treatment, you know, as needed. If you tell them that before the infection, they got it. They come in and go, hey, why'd this get infected? I don't know, you know, sometimes these, these infections are uncommon and we're just not sure. Totally sounds like you're making it up. It is exactly the same statement different time you tell them. So you tell them before it happens, explanation. You tell them after it happens, an excuse. And it makes a difference how your patient uh, responds. Best example I have is this patient right here. I had that conversation with him. It was a melanoma in situ in the temple. Didn't want to wait for plastics. I did the excision. This right here, he uh, positive margin. Okay. So when Path calls him, I'd already told him, say, listen. And actually, the positive margin on the face is more like 8%, but I still use 5 Okay, and it's like five times out of 10, but remember, 95% of the time, we're going to get it. I'll take those odds in Vegas, right? They'll always remember that. So the crazy thing is that he came back for excision from plastics. That's the plastic excision, positive margin again. So it happens. I, I don't know what your experiences are. I think I've seen four, may, I don't know, maybe five, but four for sure. I know that on melanomas, we keep getting positive margins with those, with, uh, you know, five or 10 millimeter margins there. So it happens. But by having that, comp- that conversation with the patient, just headed off any kind of complaint from them. You guys cut out cysts? Everybody done cysts? Everybody have one? Has anybody had one recur? Or is that just, you know, me? <laughs> right? Happens to all of us. Hey, how many times have you seen a patient with a scar on their back and they have a cyst sitting right in the middle of it and it was done by their, I don't know, family practice? Happens all the time. And they're like, well, if you cut it out, is it ever going to, you're going to guarantee me it won't come back, right? Listen, if anybody guarantees you a cyst is not coming back, I tell them they haven't done enough of them or they're lying to you. Because I know for a fact I've gotten the entire sack out, cleaned, everything was good, closed fine to only see a cyst recur in the same area. So I tell them whatever caused that cyst to occur, that clog pore caused that cyst, can happen again in the same area. It just happens. So you got to tell them that before it happens so they're not upset. What about this situation, young kid with a parent in the back? What, what would you want to talk to that parent about before you did excision on a young child? Maybe roots. Yeah, you know, sometimes we just don't get it all. It goes a little wider, it goes a little deeper. 95%, I'll take those in Vegas, right? You have those whole conversation. What else would you want to talk about? <coughs> yeah, I would talk about the widening of the scar. Have you ever seen kids that have, have a cut only to the scar to be the size of your incision to begin with? I've seen plastics 
do many different ways, techniques of trying to minimize the stretching of the scar in young kids. I don't know that I've seen any, any, any technique working any different than any other. So if you tell them ahead of time, say, listen, you know, the collagen fibers, you pull it together. Over time, the stitches you take out, it's going to want to come back to its resting state. You're going to get a widened scar. Tell them that before it happens so you don't get a, a parent in there all upset of what you did to their child. Have that conversation before. You explain it. It's an explanation. Anytime we work on the forehead, it is almost a guarantee that that bleeding underneath the skin is going to get pulled by gravity down into the eye, and they're all going to think they're going to lose vision, and they all think their eyes, right? They all freak out unless you tell them before it happens. So listen, we're doing surgery on your forehead. Expect bruising and some swelling down in your eyelids. It's fine. We see it all the time. It's almost 100% a guarantee. And if it doesn't happen, Okay, but if it does, you explained it. So these are the situations. Think about what the potential complication could be. Tell them before it happens. You'll save yourself a a heartache of a conversation later. So really try to be clear in what you're telling them. Averages say 5% need re-excision. I'm not going to follow you to your house, but if you continue to smoke while this wound is healing, I can, I can tell you it's not going to heal as well as if you weren't smoking, right? I'm not going to follow to your house, but I would suggest maybe you don't smoke. Cracks me up when, I'm, when we're doing mows and I look out in the uh, parking lot, people out there smoking in between layers, right? It's just like, ah, oh, i got to tell that patient, man, you got one shot for this thing to heal right. Let's not smoke. So I try to tell them, Okay. Post-op, in, well, here I wrote post-op infections are rare. Like I said, I try not to use those two words uh, together when I talk to patients. Cysts can recur. We don't know why. And if any issues, please call us. So we know these things can occur. Okay? If you know it can occur, don't freak out when you walk in and you see that. It's like, oh, my God, what? Right? You're going to scare the patient to death. Just walk in and go, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you this can happen. But we know that it's going to recur. I mean, it's going to resolve 100% of the time. Ain't no problem. That ecchymosis, no problem. So knowing that, I had this situation. Okay? The nurse just tells me, you got a wound check, room one. All right. I look at the picture before I go in. It's like, I don't know, looks great. She, didn't, she failed to take the second picture to tell me what I was walking into, nor did she tell me that the patient's wife was in there with him. Uh, this was like the nicest guy I think I've ever met. Um, opposites attract, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> we all get that. So she was tough, and I was bound and determined to get to the, I was going to win her over. Uh, this is what he looked like. Now, I didn't do the closure, thank goodness. I'm not sure what would have happened had I done it uh, with how mad the wife was. She was I mean, there's mad, and then there's like a whole nother level, like unreasonably upset. And I was bound to get to the bottom of what was happening. And through a series of just follow-ups with him, you can see he's getting better. It's turning yellow, turning green. You know that's going to get better. We're starting to lose the inferior aspect of that, of that wound. And we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of necrosis continue to follow. But each and every time that I brought this patient back in, she was feeling mad. And I just... I. I mean, I thought I could win her over. I thought after a period of time she would soften up a little bit. And this is the last time I saw the patient. And yeah, maybe he's going to need a little uh, scar revision in the end. Nothing drastic. Knowing the patient, he's not going to care. But the point of this whole, whole conversation and example is there are just some patients you just are not going to win over. Okay? You, gotta, you, you can't do it. Dr. Schiff just told me he spent an hour and a half with the patient. Um, I don't know, a week or two ago, and wasn't really sure he ever got her to where, where uh, it was reasonable or she was accepting of what had happened. 
sometimes you just can't. And I, I wish I had a magic pill or magic word, that, uh, thought to give you for these patients. I just don't. What I can tell you is just be as kind as you can. You know, be as patient as you can. Um, be reasonable, right? Don't, that's the thing. I, I train a lot of students, and I always tell them, if, don't ever do anything that you know is not the right thing to do just to try to appease the patient, because if that goes wrong, they're, they're after you, right? So don't do anything unreasonable just to try to appease. Be kind, be patient, be reasonable, and document the heck out of it, right? That's what, we, that's what we all got to do. So how are, we've gotten through that. We, we've talked about the fact that if you're doing surgeries, it, you're going to get complications. It happens to us all. We've talked about the fact that sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's the patient's fault, right? Sometimes they're digging in the dirt. I don't know, having their pet lick it at home for cleaning or some kind of black drawing salve they're putting on their wounds. We get that. We don't know what they're doing, okay? But when they're angry and they have the, comp- then they have the complication, they're in your room, what do we do? Try to clarify why they're angry. And that's what I thought I was going to get with the wife of that patient. I thought I would get to the bottom of why she was so mad. Maybe I couldn't appease her, but I'd just like to know what made her so upset. And maybe she thought he was going to die. Maybe she was scared. Maybe something else had happened. Maybe she's mad. I don't know. But really try to get to the bottom. Uh, you might be, you might, they might be talking, but you can just kind of read between the lines that there's something else irritating them there. And you might say, listen, uh, I'm hearing what you're saying about the complication, but it seems to me that there might be something deeper here. Is there, I mean, is that all we're dealing with? Just ask them straight out. It might be the fact that they didn't know they had a deductible and it cost them $1,000 or something. They're mad that now they have a complication. Maybe they need a little education on kind of the insurance they have. I don't know. But try to get to really the reason why they're angry and get to the bottom of it and then validate that thought. Well, Miss Jones, I I completely understand uh, your thought on this. You know, I know this is new to you. We've seen it before. Of course, I've done this a long time. I said, I'm almost, almost 25 years of doing this. I've seen this before, and everybody does okay. I know it's new for you, but I totally understand why you came in and, and are upset or concerned. Clarify the expectation of the, of the patient. Okay, this is not going to get better tomorrow, right? It's not acne we get that light, right? When are, they, when are we going to get better, right? It's not going to get better tomorrow. Okay. It, the expectation, like when is it going to get better? When Don't lose control of the patient. To me, I, I really try to follow them up pretty regularly and pretty often because I don't want them sitting at home stewing over what's going on. I want them to come in so I can keep talking to them, keep uh, addressing any concerns, any fears that they have. I, I bring them in pretty often initially and then start stretching that out. Of course, also when you stretch it, if you don't see them very often in the beginning, they may end up at a competitor who's going to be happy to tell them how bad a job that you did and how awful this is. And you just want to lose control of the patient. Keep them in-house. See them routinely. Uh, allay any fears. And write out a plan of action. Now, why Do you guys write out things for your patients? Do you have your nurses write out stuff? I, I try to. The longer I do this, the more I'm doing that simply for this reason, is that most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Okay. Hey, Mrs. Jones, um, I really think we need an antibiotic here. I'm going to prescribe doxycycline. It's a pill you take twice a day, and we're going to take it for the next 10 days. Okay, great. Now, are you going to give me an antibiotic for this? Because I think I need an antibiotic. Y- yeah, you know, that's a great idea. I was thinking about doxycycline. And you're going to take that twice a day. for t- Right, you just explained. We're going to give you an ointment. It's called mupiracin, and you're going to apply it twice daily, and you know, however you want to clean it with soap and water or half-strength peroxide. 
oh, okay, great. Is there anything, am I getting a prescription? Like, you just explained what, what you're going to do, and then they ask you that very next question. It's not that they're ignoring you. They're just so worried they're going to forget their next question. Okay, so they're thinking their question in their mind while you're explaining what you're going to do. It's important to get a hold of it right away. Uh, when I, uh, I leave a patient in the waiting room until I'm really ready to see this patient, because as soon as they come back, I want to get them seen right away. The longer you leave them in the exam room, I think they stew a little bit more. I think the anticipation is I'm walking in any second, and if it's 20 minutes, that even adds to their edge. Uh, they're cold. They're, I don't know. It just, it, to me, it just seems like if you leave them out in the waiting room with other patients and then bring them back and get them seen right away, you do better in that situation. Use the patient's name, eye contact, body language. It can be my body language. It can be the body language of the patient. Because if they're sitting back with their arms folded, my next statement's going to be, now, I, I think I'm trying to explain what's going on, but it doesn't seem like you're quite buying what I'm saying. Is there, is, am I not being clear with what's happening? Because you read, you read the verbal, you know, you hear the verbal cues, but you read the, the nonverbal cues. is very important. And then listen. You're going to hear that over and over. Listen. An upset person, the last thing they want to be is interrupted. Okay? They're upset. They want to get out their, their anger, their thought, and the last thing they want is to be interrupted. So uh, listen, listen, listen. We talked about some of this stuff. Take a deep breath. Listen to the patient. I don't know if they go high, you go low. There's lots of thoughts. If you look up online on different ways of handling, you'll find a thousand different web pages on this kind of stuff. But I always speak calmly. I don't use empathy. I try to be empathetic. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry this happened to them. They're scared. They're concerned. They're worried. Take responsibility. Don't take it personally. That would be the, the take-home point here. It happens to us all. If uh, you've done surgeries for any length of time, you're in the same boat as I am. I, I don't know. I, we were joking earlier that I'm subject expert on disgruntled patients. I was like, well, I don't know if I'd call myself a, a subject expert, but I'm certainly a subject experienced uh, in this field. We see it a lot. And you do MOS for 18 years. You, we see a lot of this stuff. Um, Tell the patient you understand their frustration, understand why they came in, not see what we can do. And, and the important thing, too, is thank you for coming in. You know, thanks for letting me help you with this and make it better for you. I'm sorry it's happened to you. Let's make it right. It goes a long way. Patients don't care much you know until they know how much you care. We've all heard that a thousand times, right? Uh, it's especially true in this. When they're mad, they want to be looked at. You can tell from across the room what's happening. The second you walked in, you saw the picture. You knew what your plan of action was going to be. Right? You saw it even before you walked in the room. Patient doesn't know that. This is new to them. You might have seen it a hundred times. I always lay the patient back, put on my glasses, I put on gloves. I have no intention of touching the wound. It just makes me like involved with the patient. They feel like they get better care, hands-on kind of stuff. There's a lot here. I wanted it in, so you guys, you all have this slide deck, right? You have access to this. I wanted you to read this. As I was going through this, though, I, I thought uh, the one thing that did surprise me was number four. Ask the patient what they think the solution should be. If you could, like, some way uh, electronically scrub that out of your, your app, I would never ask the patient, hey, what do you, what do you think? Well, I don't know. You're the doc. I mean, that's what you get all the time, right? But it, it just shows indecisiveness. It shows, like, maybe I've never seen this before. Maybe there's a reason they had a complication because I'm not really sure what's going on, right? I would never ask the patient. Now, I'm going to give you an oral antibiotic. Are you okay with that? 
uh, and if they're not, well, explain why you're doing it. Now, that's different than saying, what do you think the solution would be? I would, I would scratch that one off. I don't want you to read that later and think I endorsed that comment. Um, remain on the same level as the patient. If they stand, you stand. I don't know. I, I guess that's probably true. But what I think is more true is don't let the patient get between you and the door. You ever, you ever tried to do that? You ever try to position yourself in a room so they can't block you in? And I'm not worried about getting beat up. I'm not worried about, you know, I'm not worried about that kind of stuff. You just lose control of the whole appointment if they're between you and the door. And I've had that a couple times where I just had to tell a patient, please have a seat. No, 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 really, please have a seat, right? They're, they're trying to block me out so they can keep me in the room. Uh, that would be a bigger issue. Just put your chair between the door and the patient. Try to keep it there so you're in control and you can leave when you need to especially if you ever get in the room alone. That would be, be a thing. We talked about a lot of stuff. There's lots of ways to approach these, these patients. Uh, there's ways to head off a complaint by simply explaining things, not making an excuse. Tell them before it happens. If you're doing a surgery, talk about what can happen. Don't talk about the weather. Okay? Use the time constructively. It might save you heartache. But this is probably the quickest and easiest one. If you don't see a lot of patients that have complications, if you don't do a lot of surgeries and you don't have the disgruntled that often, just remember BLAST. If you can remember BLAST uh, before you walk in the room, just believe they have a problem. Believe that the patient believes they have a problem. Like, get to the point of it, right? Believe that there's an issue. and Believe that you have to get to the bottom of it. Listen, listen, listen. Listen for what they're saying and what they're not saying. Don't say, I'm so sorry I did this to you. That is not apologize. I'm so sorry this happened to you. It's not what we were expecting. Neither one of us are happy with this. I, I totally get why you're here. That's different. Okay? Satisfied to the best of your ability. Don't do anything unreasonable. Thank them for coming in. Uh, thank, thank them for giving you the opportunity to make it better. And I think evaluation. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.